Welcome to the Natural Hair Education Podcast, where we empower, educate, and embrace our essence through the love of natural hair. I am your host, Corinthian Carruthers II, and thank you for listening. I am a licensed beauty educator, licensed cosmetologist, and natural hair culturist. I am co-owner of Creative Hair School of Cosmetology and creator of Natural Hair Education, where I guide, teach, and coach beauty school students and professional stylists on their path towards mastering and increasing their value and income in natural hair care and braiding. On this platform, we will discuss real hair stories, break myths, and grow in self-love. Welcome back to the Natural Hair Education Podcast. On today, we are talking all things dermatology with a focus on the hair and scalp health. Now, my guest today is Dr. Charlene St. Seren Lord, which is a leading board certified dermatologist that specializes in hair health. She is also on the cutting edge of research and is a professor at Howard University. She does all this while still seeing patients at the clinic she founded, Visage Dermatology. She's been voted top doctor in the DC metropolitan area. And while she's doing all these amazing things to serve the community, she's also so humble and so willing to share the information so that we consumers can apply it to our lives and learn from different experiences and to seek the help or the counsel that we need when it it comes to the health of our hair, skin, and nails. And let me just say thank you to Dr. St. Seren Lord for taking out the time to come on to the show and share with us so many amazing gems. So you listeners, grab your ink pens and your notebooks and prepare to take notes and learn some valuable information from this episode. I hope you enjoy the episode. Here's Dr. Charlene St. Seren Lord. Welcome to the Natural Hair Education Podcast. On today, I have my first dermatologist guest, and I'm so excited. Um, her name is Dr. Charlene St. Seren Lord. And right now, I'm going to have her introduce herself and just tell us about how she got in this industry, what was her journey to embark upon dermatology, and all the amazing other things that she's doing in the industry. So, Dr. Charlene, Dr. St. Seren, can you please share with us about yourself and how you got into the dermatology field? Well, Ms. Corinthian, thank you so much for having uh, me on here and for pronouncing my name correctly. <laughs> thank you. Um, so how did I get into dermatology? It's the funniest thing. Um, after having completed my undergraduate studies at Howard University, um, I wanted to go to medical school, but I took a little detour. And I went to work for Merck and company. So if you know Merck pharmaceutical companies, they're a big, you know, tablet and vaccine company. And my project was um, vaccine technology. And so I did vaccines and I got bored. And um, I decided to take a walk to the pharmaceutical sales side just to fish around and ask for information. And he just happened to be available. And he's a manager. And he said, hey, where do you want to go? I said, I want to go to um, Atlanta, D.C. or Chicago. 
He's like, but I've got positions in New York. I said, I'm from New York. I already know New York. I don't want to go back there. I want a new city. He said, okay. I went back to my office and somebody called and said, you have an interview. And I said, no, I was just fishing for information. He says, well, you have an interview in New Jersey in like two days. I was like, oh shoot. <laughs> and then next thing I know, I end up in New York doing um, pharmaceutical sales and cardiovascular drugs. And I said, oh great. I want to be a cardiologist. I get into medical school, do research in cardiology. Mind you, the whole time I'm like battling the worst acne ever that won't go away. I've tried everything over the counter prescription, but this acne is so stubborn and it, and it gets worse when I'm in medical school. I mean, it's just like awful and facials, everything. I'm doing everything and nothing's working. And I rotate with the dermatologist and she has a patient come in her office and she goes, okay, well, this is your last month on Accutane. You're great. You're this and that. And I look at her and I go, wait a minute. She had acne. And she said, yeah, she had acne. I said, so bad that she had to go on Accutane? She said, yeah, I'm like, well, she looks like she had never had a pimple in her life. And now I'm trying not to get emotional in the patient room. And when we leave the patient room, she said, it's okay, you can go on Accutane too. And I just knew I had to be a dermatologist after that. It was like, goodbye, cardiology. <laughs> Derm is for me. I found my first love. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Wow. So you kind of just walked into it. It wasn't yeah. anything that you've ever just thought about, like, I want to help people with their skin or their hair. It was just a happenstance. <laughs> I thought about it. And, you know, parents, we have to be careful a lot of times. I, I say when kids are young or teenagers, they're creative. You know, you think about when you were young, you thought that you could do everything, right? And you were creative and the world just couldn't stop you. And I remember telling my parents, I think I want to do dermatology. Well, how many people actually have skin problems? And if you go into cardiology, I mean, you're going to do better. More people have heart problems. And that kind of said, oh, well, you know what? They're right. I should stick to cardiology. But then that resurfaced again, the dermatology. And this time I said, nobody's going to take that away from me. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. That's a good point. That's, that's a good point. My son just started middle school today and I have to check myself. I have to say, okay, let him be free. You know, he's entering in a new journey for himself. You can't share your experiences and put those on him because I had a bad middle school experience. Okay. <laughs> and so I'm trying to just let him live in his own in his own world and explore yeah so growing up um did you have acne while you were younger growing up or was this just something that you experienced as an adult I had acne since I was 10 wow and um you know, you try the over the counter. First, they tell you, oh, you know, your face is not clean enough. Wash it more often. Well, now we know if you overwash your face, um, you're just going to get dry and then you'll actually produce more oil, which will clog your pores. And then it was like, and my family is um, from the Caribbean. My parents are from Haiti. So they're like, you know what? You need to drink Cerise tea and this tea and you need to cleanse your blood. And that's why you're getting this acne. And, you know, and I, I drank all the nasty teas and they didn't help. I didn't like them. <laughs> And they didn't help. And it was like, well, why do you have acne and nobody else does? So it was like, well, it is your diet. You're eating too much junk. And you know what? My mom was right. She never believed in packaged foods. She never believed in any of that because I mean, growing up, if she wanted something, you know, it was a, a mango that fell off a tree or a pineapple or a grapefruit that was naturally sweet. And then here I am growing up in the States and I like manolators and, you know, and I'm grew up in Brooklyn. So there's a bodega on every corner. You know, you take your change and then you buy candy or whatever you want to buy your friends are chewing on. And now we know that what we do eat 
affects our skin because if we get too much sugar, dairy, or red meat, we will break out because it increases inflammation in the body. So um, it's really interesting. I've been battling it since I was 10. I've seen dermatologists, but everything was either too strong, too drying. Um, and then, you know, my skin would react to different things. And then, you know, having gone into dermatology, I realized now when we look at skin of color, skin of color is a lot of times more sensitive than our lighter counterparts. Um, anything that we do can lead to hyperpigmentation. Like if your skin is irritated or it gets red, that can translate to hyperpigmentation later. And for us, hyperpigmentation is everything. We want one complexion. We want our face clear. And sometimes you see, you're smiling totally. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes my patients come in with acne and I give them a regimen and the skin's as smooth as a baby's bottom. And then they'll say, it didn't work. I'm like, you have not one pimple on your face. What do you mean it didn't work? These spots, these spots. And I'm like, okay, but you you got to feel your skin. It's smooth. You have no acne. You have no pimples. That's hyperpigmentation. We can take care of it. But my patients want hyperpigmentation gone like yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so with hyperpigmentation, we know that being um, something that we have to deal with, we have to be careful when recommending prescriptions for acne or other um, conditions, because we have to take into account hyperpigmentation. Some people say, well, skin is skin. We all have the same layers of skin. Yes, we do. But skin is not just skin. When you have more melanin, um, there are considerations that we have to take that we don't have to take if you're lighter complected. Hey, if you're from Norway or Finland or Ireland yeah. and you have lighter skin, your skin is not going to react to certain procedures and produce more melanin like a darker pigmented person might. And that could be Indian. That could be Middle Eastern. That could be Southeast Asian. It could be anything, but I have to take or Latinx. I have to take that into consideration when treating my patients. Wow. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So let me ask you, because I know some of our viewers, most people I believe are familiar with dermatology, but could you just briefly explain all the areas that dermatology cover, I know it, it covers a lot of the skin, but does it do anything with the hair in the scalp? Great question. And thank you for asking. So on social media, if you go to Instagram, I purposefully came up with derm hair doc. Derm, because I'm a dermatologist, hair, because I'm a hair specialist. And yes, I'm a doctor, I'm a physician. So I think a lot of times, um, some people think that, you know, I'm like the hair person. I'm like, hey, I'll grow your hair, but I'll send you to somebody else to take care of it, you know, or I, I can tell you what ingredients are great for you to choose in your, um, you know, your hair products, but I'm not the one who's going to style and take care of your hair. So, um, Dermatology is the study of skin, hair, and nails. And I think it's beautiful how that came about because all those three systems are related in utero. It's how you formed in the womb where all those cells came from. The skin, hair, and nail cells come from like the same mesenchymal cells as we call them. Um, the, just the same cells in, in the fetus. So it's all interrelated. And um with hair, there are some dermatologists that don't do hair because hair is a lot. And when we think of hair, we think of hair growth, we think of hair loss, we think of medications causing hair loss, certain inflammatory conditions. We think of internal physical conditions that can affect the hair. Anybody with systemic lupus, um, anybody 
with just anything inflammatory going on in the body, somebody who has to go through chemo, um, certain estrogens, you know, and other hormones, um, testosterone, whether somebody's taking testosterone because they're trying to build muscle or some ladies' ovaries are producing too much testosterone, all that can affect the hair and it will also affect the skin. So it's really interesting. Dermatology encompasses all of that. And it's fun because no day's ever boring. I don't know what's going to walk in the door. <laughs> true yeah. that's true and as cosmetologists we study the hair skin and nails not as in depth as you guys yeah. do but that's our specialty too hair skin and nails so yes. I, think it's, I think it's amazing yes and that's why it's a team effort and I always say that you and cosmetology you guys are the front line because people come to you first yeah. they will come to you first if somebody moves into town what are you trying to do where can I get my hair done you move into a new town and you want to know where you can get your hair done. Um, if your hair is falling out, who are you going to go to first? You're going to go to your hairstyle and say, hey, my hair is falling out or my scalp is dry. Help. And sometimes it's not just dry scalp, it's sebaderm. And so being the front line, uh, the, com- the cosmetologist has to know, say, oh, you need to go see a dermatologist. Exactly. And then, you know, I'll take care of your hair and everything. You know, you can bring your hair care products. Some of my patients bring their dandruff shampoos. And I always say, look, the dandruff shampoo goes on first and, and he or she could use whatever they want to use after that. Yeah. But as long as the dandruff shampoo comes on first. And so you and your students are the ones who are going to see everything first. first. Your front That's line. So and true. it's just so important in that education process to, to see what happens. So this is a question that I didn't have planned. It just popped up. What about, is there a, is there a connection? Well, I know there's a connection with the hair, skin, and nails. But are you able to look at a person's skin and be able to tell the health of their hair? Interesting. Like, <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> Interesting. So here's one thing. Part of my um, dermatology uh, education is, okay, so you go through college and then after college, you go through med school, right? But before you can hop into residency in dermatology, which is three years, you're required to do something a year before you get into derm. And that could be pediatric surgery or internal medicine. I did internal medicine because I knew that internal diseases show up on the skin. And I wanted to be able to see that firsthand. And I can tell what's going on inside a person's body a lot of time by looking at their skin. And now what you said about looking at the skin and what's going on in their uh, body, I can look at the scalp because remember the scalp is skin. It is living and breathing skin. And I always say, I say, look, we take care of our face. We take care of our skin on our body. We lotion, we moisturize. Can you please treat your scalp with that same respect? Can you please give your scalp that same attention and love? You cannot grow a healthy hair if you do not have a healthy scalp. So if I look at your scalp and it is flaky and it's red and it's inflamed and I say, "Uh oh, that must be a really bad seborrheic dermatitis. Those sharp dandruff flakes can actually cut the hair sometimes when it's trying to get out or seborrheic dermatitis can be so inflamed that it prevents the hair from growing. Or if I look and I see bumps on the scalp or pus bumps or red bumps, I say, "Uh oh, that's inflammation. Inflammation will lead to hardening of the skin, what we call fibrosis, the skin of the scalp. That will lead to scarring, which will destroy a hair follicle. And we know that if there's no follicle, there's no hair. And that's a permanent hair loss. And there are little clues that I can see sometimes. I can look at somebody's skin and say, "Uh uh-oh, 
this is a sign of something. Or, okay, sometimes I see little light spots on the face. And it could be seborrheic dermatitis, it could be pityriasis alba, but I'll look at it and I say, let me look at your scalp. You know, and I see the seborrheic dermatitis on the face and I look at the scalp and say, okay, you do have it on your scalp. That's how you're getting it. Now, is it breaking your hair? Or is your hair now not growing in certain places? So it's kind of like um, following the clues. And I've had patients get upset at me. I remember one patient said, oh, Dr. Faisaray, I came for this today and this is all that I came for, okay? Because the first time I came here, I came for a toenail and you had me working up all my hair loss and everything. And I say, but you have to understand your skin is the largest organ on your body. And so honestly, a lot of stuff is just gonna come right back to me. And so, you know, I said, being a black woman, I have to look at your scalp. I would be, I would feel horrible if I didn't, because guess what? Hair loss is epidemic in black women. So you can come for a toenail. I'm going to look at your hair. And a lot of times we should go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what I came for. I came for acne, but I'm going to take a look. Wow. That's interesting. (laughs) So what forms of hair loss do you see the most? Like, I know you have patients that come in for other reasons, and then some may actually come in for their hair. When those clients come and see you, what is the common form of hair loss that you have seen and, and had to treat? Um, and I love that you say that because being a hair specialist, I treat everything, but it's, it's really the top two. It's not just one by itself. It's the top two that's like all day, every day. And, um, and I do cortisone injections for them a lot of time. The first one is going to be um, traction alopecia. So I want everyone to know alopecia just means hair loss. Alopecia is not a diagnosis itself. It just means hair loss. Okay. So you have hair loss. Well, what type do you have traction? I want you to think of something that's pulling because that's basically what it is. It's traction from pulling. And how does it happen? I mean, it started when we were little girls, you're sitting between somebody's knees, getting your hair braided, right? Mm -hmm. And they're braiding it really tightly because they want it to last longer and they want your hairline to look neat. So whether it's auntie or cousin or big sis or big mama, you know, they're just like (laughs) pulling that hair so tight. And if you dare move, you're going to get a whap of the brush or or the comb not to move. And that's when the pulling started. And then it continued um, as we got braids, as we got hair weaves, as we started to get the, you know, the cute little pretty ponytails and really pull it tightly. Well, all that traction causes hair loss. And at first traction alopecia is temporary. You stop pulling, the hair will grow back. However, we're a culture and probably the only culture where it is common to pull the hair for styling or to pull the hair for neatness. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it's never a one-time thing and we're doing it for years. And now that temporary hair loss becomes permanent. And we see a lot of ladies with like the um, shiny front of the forehead. Yeah. A little hair in the front, shiny, no hair, and then hair. hair Exactly. We call that the positive fringe sign. And that is a sign of traction alopecia. Now quite early, sometimes I do cortisone injections to reduce inflammation, do a little, um, over-the-counter minoxidil, get some hair growth in there. Sometimes my my patients need a little platelet-rich plasma, PRP. I draw their blood, spin it down, take the stem cells, inject it back to make it grow back faster. I'm I'm simplifying that because of time, but those are all the options we have. Sometimes we have nutraceuticals, things that we can take by mouth that will actually stimulate hair growth, but the, the key is to always catch it early. The second type of hair loss is CCCA. And it's a long name, which is why we just use the three letters. So it's three C's and one A, C-C-C-A. It is so common in black women and men. 
I say men because um, they don't come in as often, but when they do, they can go from zero to 80 within two weeks, like a lot of hair loss. And the problem with CCCA is it's genetic. It is passed from generation to generation. It does not skip a generation. And it's the hair loss at the top of the scalp, the crown, and it can have some soreness, tenderness sometimes associated with it, that we need to act fast. Because that's the reason, believe it or not, a lot of us never saw our female relatives' hair. They always had their wig on. Don't don't talk to me until I have my wig on. (laughs) That was CCCA. We just didn't have a name for it. Yeah. And it just wants to get worse and worse and spread. Now I do. I remember having a patient and she was from Hungary and I wrote Eastern European woman da, 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 and I sent it to the pathologist and it came back CCCA. And I called the pathologist. I said, I said, she's Eastern European. She's Hungarian. He said, yes. And it's rare. And she has it. I said, okay, great. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, sometimes we do the biopsy sent to the pathologist and then we get a, we get a result back. So I tend to biopsy hair loss to confirm what kind of hair loss it is, but the top two to answer your question, traction alopecia from pulling CCCA just for being, and I want to let anybody know if you have CCCA or you're experiencing those symptoms, you did nothing wrong. Do not hide in shame. Do not hide in embarrassment. You did nothing wrong. It was passed down. Don't go blaming anybody though. Please don't blame anyone. But it was passed down and just go see someone. See a board certified dermatologist, get some help early. And what you can do is you can contain the CCCA from spreading. And a lot of times when you act early, you can get your hair back. Mm. you can get your hair back and I have too many ladies who feel some sense of guilt as if they did something and they say well it's my fault for doing that and I did the wigs and I did the weeds and that's my fault hey even if we did that that's how we express ourselves let's not live in constant confession and guilt right so you brought up a lot of good things let me see what I want to ask first because I have a couple questions is there a difference do you see a difference in hair loss in different among different nationalities. Interesting. Anyone and everyone will be affected. I shouldn't say will, I don't wish that on everyone, can be affected by um, what we call AGA, androgenic or androgenetic alopecia. And that's male or female. That's what we call the classic male pattern hair loss with the M or the female pattern hair loss where it starts to get thin on top and then um, it gets better. But actually it progresses, it gets worse unless you do something about it. And that's a chronic type of hair loss, right? Because the, the M goes like this and slow and they look like George Jefferson. Yeah. And so we have to interact a little, we have to act a little faster. So anyone can get that. I see that one in every race and every ethnic background. The CCCA, of course, I see mostly in black men and women, the traction alopecia. I do have other patients with traction alopecia because if you are a gymnast or a ballerina and you've always had to have those tight buns, you're going to get traction alopecia no matter what color you are. And so you want to be careful. It's just the pulling. No one is immune to it. We just tend to do it more. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, because I know that braiding is very popular among our culture, um, braiding, even locks. What about the wigs, right? Because, you know, lace fronts are a big thing right now. There are a lot of people that they put the glue down and then they mm. put the, those wigs on top. Does that do something to the hair follicle? Does that smother it? Or, does that, or can that also cause um, traction alopecia? Okay. So you heard my grunt that just comes out when I hear glue. I'm sorry. I can't even help it anymore. It's okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. So here's the thing. First, I want to go to the locks. Love your hair. They're absolutely, your locks are absolutely beautiful and gorgeous. 
and um, locks are a protective style and we love them. But here's what I tell everyone, your style is not protective anymore if you're pulling. And I do have a lot of gentlemen with those gorgeous long locks. And sometimes you can, their hair, you can tell the hair is really heavy because their head is <laughs> tilted back. And then they go and they style it and uh, they have traction alopecia. And sometimes I see it up at the top of the scalp and I think it's male pattern hair loss and I'll biopsy and I said, no, it's traction alopecia because it's being when the locks are being tightened or uh, re relocked or rolled, they're being done too tight. And yes. so gentlemen are getting traction alopecia from that. Ladies with locks are getting traction alopecia from the locks that may not always necessarily be at the front of the hairline. So we want to be careful with that. Now with wigs and the lace front wings, wigs, I do not like glue. I don't, because my thing is we don't take the time we need to take to remove it gently. I would be okay if you use the adhesive remover and you did it nicely and you didn't pull, but sometimes we're in a rush and we're like, oh, I'll just pull it and I'll just pull it. And we think that the hair will grow back. But if you do it too often, again, the hair will not grow back. And I remember there was an actress and um I don't know why I'm blanking on her name right now but I remember when she was an itty bitty little girl on 227 Countess Countess Vaughn and um she showed her hair after years of lace front wigs she lost so much of it I mean it's gone it's permanently gone forever for her she didn't know and back then that's what people did rip it off and then start over again and we take our hair for granted well the hair says okay if you don't treat me well I'm not coming back and and you're gonna have to show me some respect if you want me to come back you know and that's what <laughs> We're learning now that hair does and the, and the follicles. So the constant pulling is creating inflammation and that inflammation then again causes scarring and boom, you have a dead follicle. Wow. It's gone. And we want to think the other person I think of is Naomi Campbell when they got those shots of her, you know, paparazzi will get shots of anything, but she had the positive yeah. friend shot sign and she had hair loss there and she looks gorgeous as ever at her amazing age. And she's wears wigs now. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. And let me tell you, that is the reason why I locked my hair. I do know that locks can cause traction alopecia. Um, I try not to, you know, I do my own hair, so I'm not twisting tight. And this has been up for maybe a week. I don't want to do anything with my hair right now. <laughs> However, the reason why I wanted to go natural and be natural and wear my natural hair is because of, I thought about old age. I thought as I began to get older, I did not want to have to cover up my head with a wig or some other type of covering only because to be honest, the wigs are hot. <laughs> I yeah, mean, so hot. you know, they're hot and the, I just want to be able to be free. And, uh, you know, I don't condemn or, or knock those who do choose to go that path because we, we all have our own mind, our own ways of making decisions. And we all have, and we all have our own preference. But for me, I just, I, cause I wore weaves and braids from the age of 12 on up to last year. Okay, I'm talking about wow. consistently braids and crochets and braids. And so I said, you know what? I have to let that go. I have to figure out a way to just wear my hair by itself. And I did wear it short like yours for years off and on, but I'll go back into, into the braids. So I'm so happy that I've came to a place where I can just embrace my own hair and just be creative with, with what I have. <laughs> and it took some time to get used to because if you're used to seeing yourself in a certain way, 
the long braids or the long weaves and, and the long extensions, when you remove all of that, you look completely different to yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and then that was a, another journey where I had to learn to appreciate me the way God made me and what he gave me. So, <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. where I am with that. I do have um, a question. My family and I do own a beauty school and we have clients come in to receive services. And there are times where a student would pull me to the side and say, Miss Corinthian, this client wants to know what product she should use. Her hair is thinning. Okay, so I'm not a dermatologist, right? And I'm not a doctor in those areas. And my thing is, why is it that we always look for external products to put on our hair instead of working from the inside out? Or even going to visit a dermatologist to find out why the hair is thinning or what's happening. So I do want to kind of switch gears a little bit and go into ingredients and products and why so many of us feel that if we put something on our hair, it'll thicken it up. Okay. Okay. So Miss Corinthian, you threw a lot at me. <laughs> you threw a lot at me. Number one, I want to say, first of all, you're thinking about getting old and all this other stuff. You look fabulous. Okay. And your hair is gorgeous and amazing. And it's grown a lot. The fact that you say you've worn it like that for a year. Um, congratulations. Congratulations. I myself... I, I never thought that I would give up like the the relaxers, but when COVID came and I had this cute little Tony Braxton cut with the blonde highlights and then I couldn't get um, my hair relaxed. I was like, oh, there are all sorts of coils and stuff growing under here. And I haven't felt my natural hair since I was 11. That was my first relaxer. So like you, it was relaxer. I lived at the beauty supply store. I mean, back when it was Let's Jam, you know, that was the gel that we had and that was it. I'm, you know, dating myself, but I totally can relate to that. And I'm like, okay, great. So now I've got curly at the bottom and straight at the top. It looks weird. So um, having to cut it off and see what my face looks like without the hair, that was totally different. I loved my wet and wavy weaves. I love my braids. Even the braids, I would do like wet and wavy at the ends. And so, um, it's funny that COVID sent me through this uh, journey with my hair and I love it and I appreciate it. And I, and I felt free after I did it. And at the same time, I embraced everyone on their hair journey. Cause sometimes I felt like the natural movement was a little judgy, judgy, mm-hmm. <laughs> judgy, judgy of those of us who held on to our little relaxer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm careful not to do that to anyone. <laughs> So that, that, you know, that's one thing. And then two, you mentioned, why are we looking for external factors to make our hair grow? So the reason I went on social media with Derm Hair Doc, I was totally not on social media before. And it was because a patient comes in, she came in and we treated her hair loss and her hair started to grow. And then I find myself talking about hair care products and what she should use. And I tell you, some of these manufacturers should have just cut me a check. And, um, (laughs) That's why for four years, I I went into formulation and started working on my own line to kind of have the right ingredients in there. But one patient said, and then she, the same patient said, well, Dr. St. I'm so mad at you. And I said, why are you mad at me? I said, your hair grew. It looks great. She said, I'm mad at you because it took me this long to find you. And she said, had you been on social media, I would have found you sooner. And I said, well, why would you go on social media for um, hair loss concerns or hair growth? You wouldn't go see a dermatologist. She said, no, we go to social media and we see what's being marketed and what's being sold. And that's where we start. And she said, so you need to be on there to give, you know, real information. And I was like, oh my gosh. And, you know, I, I felt 
I was like, okay, okay, okay. You got to get on this social media, girl. You know, I would look every once in a while, but like a voyeur. I, oh, look, oh, how cute. Who's doing this? Who's, oh, that's nice. Put it down. And, you know, but now I realize that someone in Michigan where you are, they can't get to me. Hopefully they can get to somebody else out there and get help, but they can't get to me. But if I post a little something about yes. the different types of hair loss and scalp care, which is very important, people, please restore your scalp, repair your scalp then they can take that information and it can translate into other stuff. Now, you said something very powerful, internal, okay? Why are we not fixing um, internally what we need to fix to get that healthy hair growth? I also practice integrative dermatology and integrative dermatology is where we take on a patient's um, medical status or condition, lifestyle, um, whether they meditate or not, exercise, whether they're getting sleep, and psyche, take that all into consideration to treat hair loss because it's all interrelated. It's wow. yes. And diet, it's all interrelated. There's no, well, this is what I eat. And why is my hair not, you know, growing or why is my hair sore? And then my hair shedding. Well, here's the thing. The American diet is really not healthy for our gut. Okay. So we hear a lot about the Mediterranean diet. Okay. Cause it's been studied and it's awesome, but let's look at the other diets. You know, some of the diets from the African continent or the middle Eastern diets or some of the Caribbean diets as well. They're pretty good. Cause they've taken the, um, the natural vegetables and fruits and everything. And now in our American diet, we're learning to, you know, farm to table. Come on now, people, you've got every neighborhood I go into, I see a garden. I love it. We're teaching the kids early, you know, plant and pick what you eat. Let it be organic, no pesticides. I love that. Get your nutrients that way. And you may not have to take as many supplements. Sometimes the supplements are necessary if there's a deficiency, but here's the thing. Gut health is important because you have a gut microbiome. And if the bacteria in the gut aren't like all in homeostasis, that will spill over to the skin and the hair. Mm. So you got to have a healthy gut to have a healthy um, complexion, to have healthy skin. Even, um, you know, probiotics. I always tell my patients, make sure you take your probiotics because if they have eczema, the probiotics help. Psoriasis, they help. Any inflammatory condition. We know that with acne. Patients acne flared when the gut microbiome was not doing well. Either they want an antibiotic that wiped out the good bacteria. So if you're going to take an antibiotic, you need to take a little probiotic to get that um, healthy bacteria back in there. Yeah, it's all that's connected. some good stuff. Yeah, if you're that. stressed, oh yes, yeah, isn't that amazing? <laughs> it is. So if you're stressed, guess what? Cortisol is going to go up. Cortisol is a hormone. Cortisol wipes out your white blood cells, which means you will get sick when you're stressed and not getting sleep. It also means that inflammation will go up in your body. Diabetes will be uncontrolled because you're stressed and you know your cortisol is high. Your hair will fall out because you're stressed. Hair follicles have stress receptors. They have cortisol receptors, so they're sensitive. And if you're stressed, your eczema will flare, your asthma will flare, your psoriasis will flare, your acne will flare anything. We are all one body. It is a whole person. And we have to take all that into consideration. Wow. Wow. That's good. That is really good. I never thought about the gut health. I mean, you hear it, people talk about it, but I didn't realize that it does have that such, such a tight connection to our, our skin and our hair and our nails and our mind. <laughs> mind. <laughs> in our mind. So, 
I do want to talk about some of the harmful ingredients, though, that are being integrated into our black hair care products yes. and then marketing, marketed for, let's say, hair growth or hair repair or those type of things. What can we do as consumers and what should we be looking out for in these type of products? Okay, um, you're just, you got all the awesome questions. So research came out, I remember, I think it was like, was it, it was pre-COVID, it might've been like December, 2019. And um, I remember when it came out on Dr. Oz and the news, et cetera, saying that these harmful chemicals uh, were in all hair care products, but worse in black women's hair care products, like having the highest concentration and how chemical relaxers have a direct correlation to breast cancer. Um, we're we're concerned that also um, color, permanent color yep. may be associated with breast cancer. And so, and we know for a fact also the chemical relaxers are um, directly correlated with fibroids. So these are all things that we have to be careful of. And if it were not for the research of Dr. Tamara James Todd with her lab out of Harvard, who's actually doing the research on the chemicals, pulling the hair products and testing mm -hmm. the chemicals. She even did a New York hair study, um, taking just black women of every different background and saying, what do you use? You use leave-in conditioners, you use oils, you use root stimulators. Okay, well, what's in these products? The problem is that she also found that a lot of products that she tested and detected were not even on the label. Oh, they weren't even on the label. Yes. And the concern with that is, okay, so some people say, well, maybe it's negligible. And so it's such a small dose. You don't need to put it on the label. Yeah. But if I'm using a leave-in conditioner every single day and I'm getting some of it on my scalp and I'm not washing my hair every day, I'm washing my hair once a week or every two weeks. And if I have locks, I may go to every three weeks because it's a lot of work to wash. And if I have super thick hair, I'm not washing it that often. So now those chemicals are on my scalp longer. I'm absorbing them. They're in my bloodstream. It's not negligible anymore. So that's what we have to take into account. Those chemicals that are harmful. Now you see them like front and center a lot of times on hair care products, paraben free because mm -hmm. it's harmful. It's a preservative that's in everything. It's a hormone destabilizer. It gives us uh, estrogens that we don't need. A uh, breast cancer survivor does not need any extra estrogens, especially if she's had, uh, you know, estrogen positive receptors, uh, a young girl who's developing does not need extra estrogens. It may send her into development that she was not going into. Um, we have to think of those. So there's the parabens, the phthalates, and that's P-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S, phthalates. And if you look at a label, phthalate always has the last name phthalate in it. So you'll see it. Silicones, now not all silicones are harmful, but we know that the siloxanes are harmful. Some silicones, especially for our hair, textured hair, African hair, silicones are beautiful because they give us the moisture that we need. And sometimes it gives you that little slimy feeling when you're washing your hands. Like I can't get this stuff off my hands. Well, it's because it's moisturizing your hair so well, but some are harmful. So in my product development, when I worked with the chemist and that research came out, I was like, take this out, take that out, take out the silicone. He was like, not all silicones are harmful, Dr. Charlene. He said, this is a good one. And I said, take it out. I said, just, you know, let's find something else. He was like, okay, great. And so he's awesome. But we sent him back to the drawing board and he had to find a fatty acid that behaves like a silicone that's not a silicone. I probably could have kept my silicone because it wasn't harmful, but I decided to take it out. Um, so other harmful ingredients, we got to think of plastic. We're sitting there drinking plastic, 
uh, water and plastic bottles. Well, the plastics have, um, we always want to think BPA and everything. Yeah, but they're also giving us estrogens. And, and here's the thing about that. Black girls get their periods by age 11 compared to our white counterparts. Okay. There's a reason why when I was in grade school, that me and my girlfriends in high school, everybody was menstruating already by age 10. Everybody was definitely done by age 11 and 12, where our counterparts weren't seeing it until 14, 15, even. And, you know, it was just the norm. But guess what? We're all using the same products. We're going to the same beauty supply store. (laughs) And we had no idea. And not only that, but um, a black girl will get breast development earlier because of these skincare products. Black women have a higher rate of preterm labor, again, because of the hair. And I say skincare products too, because some of these are in our personal mm-hmm. care products. So in our hair and skincare products, and you don't want a boy to get estrogens that he doesn't need. So when my son is running out the door and I'm like, hey, you didn't put any moisturizer on, slap it on his head and you know brush it out the door. He doesn't need estrogen. <laughs> And and I have to think about that. And I want, I want us to be able to use the same hair care products that we use on ourselves to be able to be safe to use on our kids. And so those are a lot of the chemicals that um, we want to stay away from. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's more, Um, you know, it's just, it'd be too long to list, but you definitely want to avoid um, the ones that, that we mentioned, cause they've been found in the urine. When they studied women, they found them in their urine. Now, um, they're, they're found in everyone's hair care products. What the study showed is, okay, so in, um, products marketed to white women, there were some harmful chemicals, but they were like down here. And if you look at Latinx women, there were harmful chemicals and they were just a little higher. But if you look at black women's hair care products, it got steep. That graph mm. shot up. And for me, that was very painful uh, because I also have a daughter and I think of how long I've been doing her hair and the sunscreens that I've been applying on her and sunscreens we need to be careful of because of the parabens and then the chemical sunscreens. And I'm like, here, I thought I was doing something good. And then we look at it as a whole and something that became as a styling preference has now created another healthcare disparity that we definitely do not need. Whoa. So we want to read labels. We want to be careful. Absolutely. You got me want to go home and just get everything. Let's look, <laughs> let's see what's on this product. Let's, let's see what's in this product. Like yes, that is, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, it's, you know, it really makes sense. If you look at all the women, the black women, I should say, that have uh, fibroid issues and have different ailments that our counter race doesn't have as much as we have and yes we are using all these type of products and then you have to think too that we are still learning our hair like we are still learning our hair I got a relaxer when I was seven and my mom didn't know she went out of town (laughs) and my dad's uh, sister her sister-in-law put a relaxer in my hair so it was at seven years old my hair was straightened and that stayed that way until I was in my 20s yes and it's just you know we're still trying to figure this thing out when it comes to our hair we're trying to figure out what we should be using what should we not be using how should we be wearing our hair our hair even though you know back in the day our hair was our dignity it was how we represented ourselves in the respective communities and now today we're trying to find who we are again through our hair I really think that this conversation was really good. 
Like I learned so much. I'm ready to go look at all the products that I'm using <laughs> because I don't want to cause anyone harm. I am a cosmetologist as well. I specialize in natural hair. And yes, I get people asking me all the time, what should I use? What products should I use? And what should I stay away from? And I am going to definitely refer all of them to this episode because they need to hear from a dermatologist perspective, you know, the importance of taking care of our scalp and reading labels, reading, reading the labels. So that leads me to my next question. How can we best care for our hair? You know, this is, like I said, this is still new for us, but how can we care for our hair with, with what we know right now? So um, that's a big question because you mentioned some other stuff about our hair being our dignity and I've heard our crown and glory and everything. And I fight the, our hair is our crown and glory because I see a lot of women who have no hair and I see a lot of women who have lost their hair and they're still beautiful and they're gorgeous. And many times I'll pull out my phone and I say, hey, you got a choice, okay? A lot of this hair is gone and I'll pull up the baldy movement and I'll go, look at this. And they're like, Yeah, when you don't when you don't have hair, you look totally different and you do your brows and you do this stuff and you look amazing. And I've had some patients who decided they wanted to go bald and they're happy and they love it. So you see, you're you're still beautiful. So I I fight that. And um I remember when I had to chop my hair off after uh deciding to take a swim class and and that chlorine just did a doozy on my hair. And when she took those scissors and I just saw chunks and chunks drop, I had to sing I am not my hair to myself to soothe myself. And I had to blast it in the car on the way home um, because NDRE was right with that one. And then there's also um, a documentary out there that's absolutely beautiful. I think it's Alicia Cunningham and it's called, I am not my hair. Mm -hmm. I'm more than my hair. So yes, we're getting to know our hair, but also a lot has been said about our hair. Um, Number one, take care of your hair by loving it, loving where you are. Even if your hair is not behaving, it's not doing what you want. It's falling out. It's being disloyal. You're babying it and it's not doing what you want. Love your hair. If you get a protective style, don't weave it and forget it. Don't wig it and forget it. Don't braid it and forget it. You still have to take care of the hair under there. Use your leave-in conditioners. Use your hair moisturizers. Do from root to tip. And uh, I'm not big on co-washing because I'm like, you still have to shampoo and wash your hair. So you want to do that as well. And massage your scalp. Get that good blood flow in there because you want to get the nutrients and everything and take your care of your hair from the inside out take your multivitamins make sure you get enough calcium and vitamin d go get a physical exam get your blood drawn make sure you're not anemic that'll cause you to lose hair make sure that you have all your vitamins together and love yourself where you are and look at a mirror and i do this sometimes in the office i give my patient a handheld mirror and i say i need you to repeat this i love my And even if you don't say it until you do and say it every day. And sometimes it causes tears because we have been told a lot of things about our hair and our hair is gorgeous. It's regal. Thank God for the crown act. Yes, You know, we can't be discriminated against, (laughs) you know, it's not allowed. And so that's how we take care of our hair. Man. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. St. Seren. I really appreciate the wisdom that you shared with us today. You just dropped some gems right there, but I need you to come on one more time. (laughs) Could you share with us either a myth buster or share with us a tip that the viewers can really hone in on to and take with them? 
Um, it's just hair. It'll grow back. There you go. <laughs> and you know what? The funny thing is, I will always say that. And people are like, well, yeah, because you're a hairstylist and you can do this and you can do that. I'm like, it's just hair. Like, it's just hair. At the end of the day, it's just hair, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's hair. And, and um, if it doesn't grow back, it's okay. So a lot of times I say, it's just hair. It'll grow back. Don't worry. But if it doesn't grow back, it'll be okay. You have so many options. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. 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 So could you tell us a little bit about your um, dermatologist practice, where, where, where they can find you, either their social media, how can they book if they're in your area? Can you share that with us? Oh, sure. So my practice's name is uh, Visage Dermatology. And if you know, Visage means face in French. And so I just loved it. But we're not just about the face, obviously. <laughs> so if you go to www.visagederm, one word, visagederm.com, that's my website. You can fill out a contact card. I do telehealth um, appointments as well. And um, the other thing on, in, on social media, I'm Derm Hair Doc. And that's more of the just hair stuff. Visage has its own thing, but Derm Hair Doc is my, I, I say that's my other personality, the just hair person. And um, if you're in the DMV, you can also call us at 301-773-SKIN, which is 7546. If you're not in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area, um, I do have patients who come from far away, but I understand if you're in Michigan or something like that, you can always go to the American Academy of Dermatology website, which is um, aad.org, and you can go to find a physician, put in your zip code, look at the physicians in your area, click on their website, see if you want to go there, go see them. Hey, if it didn't work out with that one, the personality is not that great, they don't understand you're here, it's okay, there's another one. Don't just stop, don't give up, there's another one. And so that's the piece of advice that I would say, and that's how you can find me. Oh, you are amazing. I, lo I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And again, thank you for the work that you do. Like seriously, I know you have helped so many people with their skin and their hair and helped them build up their self-esteem again. So I commend you on that. And I thank you for being a guest, sharing all of your tips and wisdom with us today on the Natural Hair Education Podcast. So again, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been an absolute pleasure. And you keep doing the wonderful work that you're doing. All right, guys, what do you think about this episode? I feel like she shared so many valuable points that we can take with us and carry on to make sure that we're being conscious about our bodies, whether it's our internal health, our external health, and just taking all the steps that we need to ensure that our scalp is healthy. Because as we learn, scalp health is so important. All right, make sure to check out the show notes where you can find and get in contact with Dr. St. Soren Lord. And that's it. That's all I have for you all. Just make sure you guys continue to empower, educate, and embrace our essence through the love of natural hair. Thank you for listening and tuning in to this week's episode. See you next time.